Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And the television networks are going to have interesting choices to make, interesting decisions to make about whether to cut away if there's We this- are experiencing a global pandemic. And now our U.S. Postal Service is under attack. Work in Pennsylvania. I was in Pennsylvania yesterday. The place that he said he was born in, which is true, but he left when he was like nine years old. So he left a long time ago. He left, he left seven decades ago. And he still calls it his home. And his real home is a place he never leaves anymore. <laughs> Funniest Trump of the year. Right there, you heard. We'll get to more of that in just a bit. Hope you had a good weekend. A lot going on. We got a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff to get to. My goodness. I might have built too much show for this show. Um so the first cut we played was it's Brian Stelter from CNN. Talking about this is this is too beautiful. Talking about the RNC is coming up, and so CNN's going to have to make, you know, make judgment calls. All as are all the cable networks as to what they're going to take and what they aren't, because uh, you know, with Trump, it's disinformation and lies, and they need their fact checkers to to vet everything. Thank goodness this guy's protecting us. And the television networks are going to have interesting choices to make, interesting decisions to make about whether to cut away if there's this stream of disinformation happening live. Now, I can tell you, uh, Daniel Dale, CNN's fact checker, he will be standing by. I think you will see him in prime time here on CNN providing fact checks when necessary. Put Dale on it. We need the best of the best for this one. President Trump is speaking. Mike Pence is speaking. But I also think we're going to see asymmetry in the way Fox covers the convention. (laughs) Asymmetry. Asymmetry. There is nothing more symmetrical than CNN's purely square and balanced and, uh, you know, purely right-angled coverage of of uh, politics, right? 
Fox, though, it's weird. They've got this bent. I mean, we don't. We're really good people. We live in Manhattan. We went to Columbia. Fox has this weird bent. Right, the 9 p.m. hour, Hannity was live during the Democrats, not really showing the Democratic convention. I suspect he will show a lot more of the Republican convention. Right, here was the scene on Fox when uh, CNN and MSNBC were showing the Democratic campaign ads. And look, I get it, they were campaign ads. Uh, but there's an asymmetry in the political universe. It sometimes it's called asymmetrical polarization, where there's more extreme behavior going on on the right than on the left. There is an asymmetry in our media as well, where Fox is off there. On how, how beautiful is this? How beautiful is this? It's more on the right than it is the left. It's more on the right than it is the left. I mean... When we have somebody like Eric Swalwell on or Nancy Pelosi, they're essentially telling us the truth. We don't have to look into that stuff. We're completely congruent with them. Obviously, we believe what they believe. We know that that stuff's true, but the other side, it's very problematic. On the right, uh, in ways that the other networks are not, in the middle or on the left. And what we are seeing currently in our political system in America is asymmetrical lying. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine being that a human being and saying those things? Where one side does it a whole lot more than the other, where one leader and his followers mislead the public a lot more than the other side. And if we don't. So this is the guy. He's the media expert, Brian Stelter at CNN. He's the guy who disseminates to all the watchers of CNN and the people who go to the website. What is factual and what is not factual? And this is how he's calibrated. He's calibrated this radically left that to him the water is not wet because he's the same temperature as the water. All the leftist radical talk? No, I mean, he believes that he's right there with uh, Jerry Nadler. He doesn't see, there's no such thing as Antifa. I don't understand that there aren't riots and things. No, 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 no. White supremacists? Yes, of course, it's the Trump thing, remember? Uh, both very fine people on both sides. Something that CNN, of course, lied about and continues to this day. Every single day, they mention it, they let it pass, and it's a completely uh, apocryphal um, storyline that the Trump ever said that in relation, in regards to uh, white supremacists and Nazis and whatever. Tell that story truthfully and honestly, then we're part of the problem. Then no. we're misleading people as well. No, you misleading people? I don't think so, no. I don't see any asymmetry there whatsoever. My God, I can't imagine. A CNN exclusive. CNN has learned that the nation's top intelligence officials provided information to President-elect Donald Trump and to President Barack Obama last week about claims of Russian efforts to compromise President-elect Trump. The information was provided as part of last week's classified intelligence briefing. The Russian dossier, which they got from what, BuzzFeed or something? Completely and totally falsified. But hey, he says it in a symmetrical way, right? Remember, he had uh, Carl Bernstein out there, Jim Shooter, who previously worked with the Obama administration, and, and other reporters that CNN had an entire team on that. They were happy to bring that to light. Most people in Washington had already passed on it. Christopher Steele was trying to sell this thing all down, up and down Washington, and they were seen in, and the, the the media was saying, "No, this is crap. We can't back this stuff up. You can't stand this up. This is all salacious crap." They wanted to believe it, and that's why Tapper talked about it. They wanted to believe it, and they lived for two years off of this stuff for two years. 
Two years we had to hear, as, as CNN cultivated this story of Russian collusion, never, never, never investigated the other way. They never looked into Peter Strzok. They never looked into who was on the Mueller team. They never looked into Jim Comey. Everything Jim Comey said was completely taken as symmetrical, completely symmetrical. On the Russia investigation, I want to bring in our senior justice correspondent, Evan Perez. Evan, we're getting some uh, new sound from James Comey, former of the fired FBI director. He just got an interview with NBC News. Let me play the clip and then we'll discuss. Then there was your firing. May 3rd, 2017, you go before the Senate Judiciary Committee. You talk about a lot of things, the Clinton email server, but you declined to answer questions specifically about evidence of collusion at that point. A couple of days later, you're fired. A few days after that, I sit down with President Trump. He says, when I decided to just do it, talking about firing you, I said to myself, I said, you know, this Russia thing with Trump and Russia is a made up story. What did you think when you heard that? First of all, Trump was right about that. We know that he was right about that. We know that Comey knew he was right about that. We knew that Comey knew that there was nothing to the Flynn stuff. They knew that there was that Peter Strzok had nothing on uh, Papadopoulos and nothing on uh, Carter Page. We knew that they had manufactured manufactured their application on Carter Page, their application for a FISA warrant. They manufactured the 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 fact. You know, the judge said, hey, so you'd note here that this guy's been meeting with Russians. Is he doing it on behalf of the CIA? And the FBI said, oh, no, he doesn't work with the CIA. And, of course, he did work with the CIA. But if you take the CIA out of the equation, then Carter Page is really talking to a lot of Russians. The whole thing was cooked. The investigation was cooked. It was started out of a false pretense to get something rolling. It was continued out of a false pre, uh, 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 falsely, you know, using in part this what we're hearing this uh, this Steele dossier, using that in part to keep it going. Saying, "Wow, look at this new development!" They bring the Steele dossier to the judges, Peter Strzok and Jim Comey, etc., and say, "We really got to pay more attention to these guys. We're going to need to track, monitor more people." There was nothing to any of this crap. It was absolute crap. But here, CNN covering ABC's coverage excitingly, excitedly. I thought that's potentially obstruction of justice, and I hope somebody is going to look at that. Again, the president appears to be saying, I don't know what's in his head, which is why I can't reach the conclusion. What he appears to be saying is, I got rid of this guy to shut down an investigation that threatened me. So he, so he got rid of that guy because Trump felt that he was uh, harassing him and felt that the, he was uselessly being investigated because he knew that there was nothing there. Nobody ever, none of these CNN guys, none of these other reporters ever bothered to look to see, hey, T, Comey, what did you have? What did you have on him? You know, it takes judicial, wall, judicial watch and other conservative organizations to FOIA these things, to get court orders, to get these things unredacted. All of these, these reporters get leaks and information and stories handed off from intelligence sources all the time. They could have just asked their sources. Hey, between you and I, they didn't ask their sources because they wanted to believe that story and they weren't going to ask any questions that blew counter to that. That's your symmetrical reporting. They thought originally that was obstruction of justice. What do you think? Somebody, if there was somebody else in the room, they could say, it's very odd to me that Jim Comey has been this involved in both what he did with the server stuff with Hillary and you know not finding any guilt with Hillary when that's not his job. And then blowing Hillary up in in uh, late October, 
and propagating these investigations into the Trump administration and, and bragging about leaking information to a friend of his at a, at, a, at a college so that that friend could give it to the New York Times. Nobody's thought to say, hey, wait a second, Jim Comey's doing a lot here, including writing a book. Jim Comey's in, in, uh, enriching himself here um, and has, is bragging about sharing information, about leaking. This is the top guy here. No, it's all in the direction of go after Trump and get him. You know, I think um, that was definitely one of the data points that the Mueller investigators had to look at, the question of whether or not the firing of an FBI, FBI director reaches... The data points. The data points. To the level of, uh, of an obstruction crime, Wolf. Uh, but there's a lot of other data points. A lot of things that we saw from the president uh, publicly, some of it, uh, him threatening to fire Mueller. Can you imagine that? Why would he fire Mueller? That's obstruction of just, uh, justice. Mueller's investigating the crime. The crime of... We don't have that. The crime we don't have. But Mueller's on it, and you heard Comey, and Comey's on it, and these are good. Trump is a jerk, and so it just is. This is symmetrical. This is symmetrical newsing. Stelter, beautiful. So a couple of years ago, <laughs> Brian Stelter... <laughs> Too bad you can't see the video of this. I'll at some point do video. It's just, it's, I only, I'll do video at some point. Okay? I will. People have asked. I don't know why you'd want to see me. I am not attractive. But, I mean, if to see, if a visual helps, um, I guess that's good. And I, I could have visuals, which would be the idea. So I'm going to play this. This is, a, for 2018, Brian Stelter was on this panel of uh you know the know-it-alls of journalism you know one of these panels that this is these things just usually really make me want to puke any of them when, when you sit up there and you know everything and you're holding the microphone and you get a little glass of water next to you and oh and people say things like data points like we just heard that guy say and unpack stuff and systems and spaces and it's uh, so Ted Koppel, who used to be on ABC's Nightline, and uh, was is an older guy now, but he comes from the a, a time when I think it's fair to say when when TV anchors journalists were generally considered uh, were were more the they they carried more veracity, I think. And uh, Koppel was pretty used to be pretty solid. So anyway, Koppel. He talks about the symmetrical coverage of CNN, and he says what the obvious thing is. Is there is hate. Hate is a motivation. There's no doubt about that for coverage, the kind of coverage you're seeing for Trump. There's no doubt about that. I'm terribly concerned that when you talk about the New York Times these days, when you talk about the Washington Post these days, we're not talking about the New York Times of 50 years ago. We are not talking about the Washington Post of 50 years ago. We're talking about organizations that I believe have, in fact, decided as organizations that Donald J. Trump is bad for the United States. Exactly. Exactly. And what's the other big factor? And this is the exchange where you're going to hear Brian Stelter as part of the exchange. Donald Trump has been very, very good for baseball. He has been wonderful for the industry. Your boss ignores... 
He means the media industry. He just use baseball as a metaphor. Acknowledged as much a number of number of months ago during the campaign. Les Donald Trump, was. huh? It was Les Moonves who acknowledged Les Moonves it. Les Moonves also <laughs> acknowledged it, but so did the head of CNN. But that means what? That, you should see this salty little look Stelter gave him. And that means what? That if ratings means, are up, that means what? That Oh, the ratings are up, it means you can't do without Donald Trump. You would be lost without Donald Trump. Well, that is what he says. Ted, you know that's not true. CNN's ratings would be in the toilet without Donald Trump. <laughs> you know that's not true. You're, you're, you're playing for laughs. You've lived through enough presidencies to know Hold on there a will second, be more Brian. presidents. What were the ratings before Trump and what are the ratings now? I would say uh, we might be up 20, we might be up 30%, we might be up 40%. If we go back down 40%, that's okay too. Right. Uh, well, it may not be okay. <laughs> of course it is. I reject the premise that these networks are making so much money off of Trump and thus we, we benefit from oh, it. I, tell me for a moment, if you will, let's get away from CNN then, all right? Sensitive subject. <laughs> let's go to MSNBC. Is there a moment of the day when they are not focusing on Donald Trump or some intimately related subject? It is essentially, oh, I know every once in a while. Exactly. Exactly. That's why they're not news organizations. Mr. Symmetrical, the news expert, they're an activist organization. They're just doing native advertising and this... It's native activism. Activism. The the product they're selling now, twenty four seven, is that Donald Trump is terrible. That's it, and it's clickbaity, and it's explosive, and it's always irresponsible. As far as this this other cup, where when when Koppel said that these media or media organizations think that Trump is bad, there's no doubt about that. These people went to Columbia University. These people went to Boston University. Of course, they feel that way. They're big time liberals. They're they're in you know they're beautiful people in showbiz. That's what the, the whole uh, <clears throat> the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Can you imagine? They rent out a huge facility for all sorts of round tables of beautiful media people, liberal media people, just to make fun of the Republicans that they cover. They pat themselves in the back. They love themselves. That society is an activist society. It's not a journalist society. So uh, here's, by the way, Britt Hume, when Koppel said that stuff a couple years ago about uh, how the media hated Trump, Britt Hume um, commented on it. I did work with Ted Koppel for many years. Uh, he's old school, much as I am. We come out of the same tradition, which is neutrality in news coverage, opinion reserve, opinions reserved for columnists and editorial writers. Uh, and in broadcast journalism, you have certain commentators and you have uh, correspondents who cover the news. And those, those lines of separation have become increasingly blurred. And in the age of Trump, as, as Koppel suggested, um, they've gone completely out the window because of a sense among journalists that the election of Donald Trump constituted a national emergency. And it was their duty as patriots uh, to resist it and to, and to do all they could to undo this presidency, which they have assiduously, in my judgment, tried to do. And we see it reflected constantly. Yeah. Just think what they aren't covering. Just think that what the symmetrical news organizations aren't covering. Here's a little sound. It's a few seconds from Denver, Colorado, a beautiful city. (laughs) 
Riots, bedlam, destruction, carnage, criminality in the streets of Denver, Colorado. CNN? Nada. No, they're not going to waste their time doing that. That is not what they're there for. Especially the straight-up riots. That is not what they're in the business. So that is hard news coverage, and they will not be there. Here's Portland. In Portland now, the rioters have you know decimated downtown so much now that they're now moving in huge mobs through the suburbs and ordering people to get out of their stolen houses and harassing people. Stolen people! Stolen people! None of the symmetrical or news, or, or news organizations care about that. They don't care. No, no, no. They don't spend any time covering that. No way. We're still doing. They're still doing stories about how powerful Michelle Obama's speech was because she threw elegant shade at Trump. Even the things that were said today should be absolute breaking news. The Mayor Garcetti of uh, L.A. today talking about Donald Trump. He has no plan, and he's killing Americans right now and killing our economy. I think it's such a contrast between two people who have a heart and experience yeah. that this country needs and a man who has neither. Killing Americans is, is a strong phrase there. Uh, I, I'm going to ask... Why not, though? Why not? The Symmetricals aren't going to pick it up. Brian Stelter doesn't care killing America the Trump is killing people you would think that's very explosive that's the president of the United States I don't know I just I kind of feel like if somebody had said that President Obama is killing Americans during a pandemic when things are bad enough I get the feeling that person would have been swarmed by the symmetrical media for daring to use those terms no it's fine you know the, these 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 Democrats and the symmetrical media, they they propagate lies or they let these lies go and do not challenge them or push back or check them whatsoever, and these lies these lies result in a divided country. Divided country brings with it, depending on what happens, uh, tumult in uh, in destabilized uh, cities, etc. And then CNN, the Symmetricals, will go and cover the carnage as if it's coming from somewhere else, as if they had no part of it, no part in, in building it. Meanwhile, Democratic politicians here are saying whatever they can to incite fear, to incite anger. We are. This is Rashida Tlaib, one of the squad members. We are experiencing a global pandemic, and now our U.S. Postal Service is under attack. Let it be clear, this administration is waging an authoritarian campaign to sabotage this election by manipulating the Postal Service to suppress our votes. Authoritarian administration waging a campaign to suppress votes. This is a congresswoman saying this. This is an elected official. That's pretty damn big news. That's an explosive thing to say. And you would think maybe the symmetrical... Uh, media would want to give that a proper vetting to see maybe if really one is this an authoritarian you know they t one of the fact checkers should i would say get on that is this an authoritarian administration are they suppressing the votes is there a mailbox thing happening stelter just talked about about uh you know conspiracy theories 
that the right is on a, 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 all over the place. Now we're in week three of the post office conspiracy theory. Trump is going and is kidnapping the post boxes and putting them in concentration camps. And they are threatening the livelihood of our postal workers, our seniors, our veterans, and so many more in the process. This is not a conspiracy. <laughs> By the way, they've. Oh, wait. Actually, I'll, I'll let her talk. Theory. This is fascism. Fascism. Now, if this was fascism. That voice would not be allowed to be heard. Voices of dissent are not allowed, do not fare well during fascistic administrations. You figure the symmetricals would say Rashida Tlaib says without proof that Donald Trump is a fascist. No, no need for that. We will not stand for this now or ever. In Michigan right now, Machines capable of sorting 35,000 pieces of mail per hour have disappeared from postal facilities. Brave workers are blowing the whistle and saying that they've never seen anything like this, Madam Chair. We must put an end to it. Brave workers are blowing the whistle. In other words, a bunch of anti-Trump people are blowing the whistle and saying, uh, you know, that the evil Trump is being evil again because he's a fascist authoritarian. He's going to steal the election. By the way, do we want to trust those people with ballots? The postal uh, activists. <sighs> Not the every post person, every male person is... I'm just talking about the ones who are griping about Trump. But no, see, the Democrats are already planning to see that the election's been pre-stolen. Great. I say to the White House, hands off the United States Postal Service. Let's make it clear through this law to fund our Postal Service and undo these harmful attacks and restore normal operations. Time has expired. Here's another one. This one should be the the, you know, the symmetry laden media should be all over this one. This is um, I always want to call it Natasha Bedingfield, but I think it's Kate Bedingfield. She's a uh, communications hack for flack for Biden. This is her today with George Stephanopoulos. Now, this would be called a huge scandal if this was President Trump, but she is. This is. Such a hiccup and such an unforced error on behalf on behalf of this um, this campaign, and you know why it is? They don't care. They have the symmetrical media. They the symmetrical media has their backs. On July twenty eighth, uh, Joe Biden said he hadn't been tested for the coronavirus, but this week your campaign refused to, on two occasions to answer the question of whether or not he had been tested. So can you clarify? Has Joe Biden been tested for COVID? Has he had the virus? He has not had the virus. We have put in place really strict protocols, as I think um, all of your journalists who attended our convention in Delaware uh, this week saw. We've put in place incredibly strict protocols to ensure that everybody involved uh, who is around Vice President Biden, who's around Senator Harris, uh, is uh, undergoing uh, the appropriate testing. Um, the vice president has not had the virus. Um, and Has uh, he been tested? He has not. He has not been tested. Um, however, we have put the strictest protocols in place and uh, and moving forward, should he need to be tested, he certainly would be. Uh, but he has not been tested yet. 
He hasn't been tested. How do you know he hasn't, doesn't have the virus? How do you know he hasn't didn't get it months ago? How do you know he doesn't have a, a brand new case of the virus that's a week old? No, oh, hasn't been tested. We're not testing him. That's incredible. It's incredible that the, she actually told the truth, too. Why would you even say that? No, it doesn't matter. It's just... No, he hasn't been tested. Why not? Why hasn't he been tested? This is a very serious virus, is it not? Isn't it? This is very serious. Remember, this thing's going to kill everybody. That's why we all have to vote in the... Go through the post office. If, you know, we have to... That's why we have to go recover all the stolen mailboxes and put them back and vote with them because the virus is going to kill us, right? Except if you're out protesting in in Denver. Or um, Portland. I understand the virus is not in those areas. Everybody knows that. But wait a second. Bedingfield. On July 28th, uh, Joe Biden said he hadn't been tested for the coronavirus. But this week, your campaign refused to, on two occasions to answer the question of whether or not he had been tested. So can you clarify? Why didn't they answer on two occasions, by the way? And how come I didn't see that in the, in the chyron of all the symmetrical media? Has Joe Biden been tested for COVID? Has he had the virus? He has not had the virus. We have put in place really strict protocols, as I think um, all of your journalists. Really strict protocols. Oh, I see. I see. If the protocols are in place and you absolutely can't get the, I wish. Can you tell us what the protocols are so I don't get the virus? Who attended our convention in Delaware uh, this week saw we've put in place incredibly strict protocols to ensure that everybody involved uh, who is around Vice President Biden, who's around Senator Harris, uh, is uh, undergoing uh, the appropriate testing. Um, the vice president has not had the virus. Um, and if he doesn't have the virus, then how come he's wearing a mask all over the place, even in his car, which he shouldn't be driving? But why? And by the way, I'll. You know, we're given a very detailed thing to do, and we're told that the President uh, Trump is literally killing people because he doesn't like wearing masks, and he's made that clear. And so we just learned from the, the DNC last week that Trump killed a girl's dad when the, when the Democrats were going high Monday, that, 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 he, was, that he was the, the, um, uh, the, what was it, the compromised immunocompromisation that Trump was himself because he didn't wear a mask. Well, no, Joe Biden's not following these protocols. He's he's Mr. Everybody has to wear a mask. Everybody outside has to wear a mask. But he's not doing the right thing. By Why wouldn't he get tested just to show us what the right thing to do is? That's interesting. Has he been tested? Uh, he has not. He has not been tested. Um, however, we have put the strictest protocols in place. Okay. And, uh, and moving forward, should he need to be tested? He certainly would be. Uh, but he has not been tested yet. And since this is the symmetrical media... They're hearing that from a good Democrat, and why wouldn't they trust her? Of course they're going to trust her. She wouldn't lie. That's Republicans lie. Kellyanne Conway lies. You know, that's Kaylee McEnany. That McEnany. She's the one that lies. This Bettingfield wouldn't lie. We know her. We hang out with people like her. Over the weekend, some video came out of um, outside the DNC. There's always a there's always a counter protest or a protest to these things. So at the RNC, there's always a bunch of Democrats outside, and at the DNC, there's there were some Trump people outside. And these in one of these videos, you see these uh, these women. These two, I think they're about 21. These two women steal the hat from this seven year old boy, his MAGA hat, 
and just kind of run away from it, stare, swear at his mother, etc. And the kid's in tears. Sorry, that's them ripping their all the kids' posters. That you get off my property? Get off my property? Are you destroying my property? Yes, we are. You know that's a felony. Yes, that one too. We don't get get away from. Out. Get it, Liv. Get it. Touch my hat. Get it, Liv. Get it. That's what they're talking about. They're talking about the the Trump hat. That's a kid's hat. Take your Trump hat. That's somebody else's hat. Take that off my hat. Shut up, seven year old idiot. We get to keep this hat. Brian Stelter is symmetrical, and he told us that Trump's a jerk. Get get your hat back, baby. Look at what you just did to my son. Get your hat back, baby. Get your hat back, baby. Give me back my hat. 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 We get to be mean because your mom bleeping likes Trump. Screw you. We get to be mean to the seven-year-old and make him cry. F you. Because when Trump's bad, we were told. We were told that he's bad. We heard it all last week. We watched the DNC and we were told that he's killed people. So if you like him, we get to abuse your son. You have to take it. That's right. Sorry, kid. This kid doesn't get the, the, the you know, soft glove treatment from the media. Symmetricals don't care about his story. If this kid were a Biden fan, that kid would be on every single magazine cover and every cover story. You would have to disavow. Trump would have to disavow the people who did it. These are just Biden supporters who, who just did that. Biden doesn't have to disavow. Nobody's going to look into these people, the people who did that. No, because they essentially did something good in the right direction. Push around a little seven-year-old, that's fine. Doesn't matter. Remember, the symmetrical media also, hook, line, and sinker, including CNN, were all in on Jesse Smollett. Yes, absolutely. This guy, at one in the morning, when it's negative 10 degrees, was attacked in the middle of Chicago by two white Trump people who were out looking to beat somebody up, and they tried to lynch him with this noose of twine. Um, but, but, you know, the, uh, Smollett somehow got away and saved his tuna sub as well. And everybody was right in. To, oh, we totally believe it. Totally. Believe, all the symmetrical media was totally in believing him, believing him, believing him, making his, seeing his case, you know, the same thing with the, with the, the NASCAR dude who absolutely lied about that too. Oh, all in now, as long as it's anti-Trump, we will believe it. There is no vetting. Reporters stand down. You do not look in, need to look into Jesse Smollett. And they never have to apologize for it. Yeah. Now, this would be considered a groundbreaking, a bombshell. David Muir of ABC talked to, virus, uh, talked to um, Vice President Joe Biden and asked him about the worst case scenario if the virus and the flu get together. Come January, and we have coronavirus and the flu combining, which many scientists have said is a real possibility. Would you be prepared to shut this country down again? I would be prepared to do whatever it takes to save lives because we cannot get the country moving until we control the virus.
That is the fundamental flaw of this administration's thinking to begin with. In order to keep the country running and moving and the economy growing and people employed, you have to fix the virus. You have to deal with the virus. So if the scientists say, shut it down? I would shut it down. I would listen to the scientists. That's fantastic. Just snuff out what's left of business in this country and just shoot it in the head. If the scientists say it could be a bad flu season and a bad virus season, even though this virus, the deadly animal that this virus was, has come and killed the people and has left. But no, absolutely. Yes, that's damn right. It's President Fauci when President Biden is, is there. They'll make all the decisions. No, no, they'll make all the decisions. Remarkable. And no doubt he would. It's, no, you have to listen to Fauci and the other and all the other panels. And in our state, Massachusetts, even though the deaths, all of the deaths were three months ago, really, and eight eight thousand of them were three months ago, and a thousand is uh, has have happened since. And in in uh, dribs and drabs, I mean, to be cavalier, but you know, whatever. But so, same thing in New York. Same thing with all the northeastern states who are patting themselves on the back, saying that they did the right thing. But no, they're letting the healthcare community dictate. What they do, and they're excoriating you if you dare break the law or break their new uh, the, their new uh, ordinances. And it's remarkable. It's remarkable. If in the state of Massachusetts now, the, the health professionals now run the state. Our governor has stepped aside, and the health professionals and bureaucrats within in the health administration, they have uh, they run the state. And now that's why we're looking. We're looking now. We're in Massachusetts now. You have to get. They've made it mandatory. You need to get a flu shot now. They were always telling us, "Don't mention flu with this. Don't mention flu with Corona. Two totally different things." Nope. Now we have to get a flu shot. Now the two are intertwined. Now they're going to be looking at the death rate for the normal flu and the coronavirus and PPE and hospital beds and everything like that. And all these. There's now a new set of factors. It's remarkable. There's now a new set of factors. They've they've brought in all of these other elements that had nothing to do with the original goal, the original thresholds whatsoever. And now we're playing a new game suddenly. And they're addicted. They can't stop. They can't extract themselves from this kind of thinking. And it's crazy. In 2013, when the Olympic, uh, sorry, when the Boston Marathon was bombed, people from Massachusetts will remember this, and maybe you'll, if you weren't, Marathon gets bombed. Uh, they go on a manhunt for the bombers. While the manhunt goes on, suddenly we're all told to shelter in place. Stay in your house. Stay in your house. We're looking for the manhunt. And we don't want more bombs to go off. Stay in your house. Which was remarkable to think of it. You, because two, uh, t- you know, two terrorists detonated bombs. The rest of us have to hide inside our houses. That's how we're doing this? And we did. And then we printed t-shirts for ourselves and t- declared ourselves uh, strong for doing it. Stay in your house, stay in your house. It, if that happened right now in an election year, right now, if the marathon bomber finally happened right now and the second bomber had not been found still, we would all still be sheltering in place. We'd all be sheltering in place now for five or six months. Even if the second bomber was found, it's just like with now we've brought the flu into this act People would say, "Wait a second! Now that we're thinking about this bomb, and it killed what five or six five or six people, and 
But let's look at all the other crime, too. I mean, we flatten the curve, really, on death now and a lot of violent crime since we've made everybody sheltered in place. And actually, car accidents, too, are way down. These are human lives, and the, 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 the net result is all these human lives. Can we unshelter in place safely now? I mean, it's going to result in a spike, again, of human lives. We would absolutely be sheltered in place right now. These bureaucrats can't get it. Can't get out of this thing. Can't get out of this thing. But but in, especially now because the symmetrical media is not interested in leading with the numbers. They're interested, and the AP is right there with them. They're interested in telling you about spikes and cases and and uh, and uh, good karma cases. They love the karma corona cases the most because that's when a bunch of Republicans get together or bikers get together, and then they can trace a few cases that came out of that and say, ha, look at the idiot Trump people, you know, who the anti-mask squad serves them right. They got it. Yeah, absolutely. They got what they're getting, what was coming to them. Exactly. Thank they're you, getting Seth. what was coming to them. Yep. Getting what's coming to them. And the media is not going to, I mean, they should, the media should be reporting the truth, which is that the testing has increased significantly. The cases now are going down as a percentage and the fatalities are in the basement. Fatalities went down drastically, drastically over the last couple of months. There's something, something like, it's hard to die from this coronavirus. That's the truth. But they're not telling you that, and they're it's a they hate Donald Trump, so they're not telling you that. They can push pin this thing on Donald Trump. Meanwhile, the governor of New York, responsible for thirty three thousand deaths directly due to the governor's policies, or a lot of those are, you know, he's now selling merchandise on how I beat the coronavirus. New York strong essentially. The symmetrical media has no interest in telling you the truth about that. Symmetrical media has no interest in telling you about the crime waves going through the cities. It's not just burning cities down and mobs beating the crap out of people and destroying businesses for life. Marginalized communities as well. You would think if a congressman said, you know, was egging people like this on, that, that the media would be up in arms. There needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. Ayanna Presley will not be taken to task by the Boston Globe for saying that. Nope. <clears throat> nope. Hi, Pepper. A dog walked in. Oh, but this, but you know, getting circling way back for for President Biden to be, or you know, possibly President Biden to be saying, yeah, yeah, I'd shut it right down in a second. That cavalierly, yeah, it's easy for you to say because you and everybody you know works in government. And your lives have not changed a tick other than the fact that you've gotten more power through this thing. The people who don't work in government are in a um, bad place right now. The economy wants to survive. It's trying to survive. Look at the Dow. Businesses want to thrive. What's left? They want to thrive. But for political and cultural reasons and because the symmetrical media does not give a damn about this country 
and they're doing well. CNN's doing well. You heard the, them talk about the their their viewership is way up. Yay! These are good times for CNN. This is excellent. President Trump did have his funniest moment of the year. Uh, symmetrical media doesn't cover this stuff, so you wouldn't see it. Um, but you can find her on Twitter. He's giving, I forgot where he was giving this speech, but anyway, he's giving a, he gave a, uh, he had a rally, so to speak. Um, and he, and this is off the top of his head, too. And he had a very interesting uh, observation about uh, Joe Biden. Work in Pennsylvania. I was in Pennsylvania yesterday. A place that he said he was born in, which is true, but he left when he was like nine years old. So he left a long time ago. He left, he left seven decades ago. And he still calls it his home. And his real home is a place he never leaves anymore. He just... <laughs> never lives the, the outskirts of that state. You'd think you'd go a little bit, you know, it's not that far. Never lives. We'll figure it out pretty soon. That is Trump having fun. Goodyear choir, Goodyear tire boycotts, bad Trump. Joking, comfortable Trump, good Trump. We need more of that. Definitely need more of that. If you want to uh, feel for where the campaign is going and what they're uh, what the theme essentially is. Uh, let me just play a little bit of this. Um, Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner. Kushner. This is very vanilla, but it kind of tells you how the campaign is calibrated. Again, we're seeing the polls moving big in our favor over the last month. Uh, people want law and order. They want their community safe. They want a, a president that stands up for law enforcement. Uh, he has a track record of taking on China and of making good trade deals for America. And, uh, and again, he knows how to build an economy. So we're starting to see our economy you know, rush back after having shut down uh, the economy to, to slow down the spread uh, of the virus that allowed us to have the hospital capacity, the resources to deal with it appropriately. And President Trump is very confident that the American people know that he's the right person to rebuild our country, to take on the other countries. Uh, we were on earlier talking about how we made the first peace deal in the last 26 years. Uh, he's brought us out of wars. A lot of the people who are talking, you know, in the Democrat convention, these are the people who got us into these endless wars. And President Trump has not gotten us into any wars. He's pulling us out of Afghanistan. He's pulling us out of the Middle East. He's bringing our troops home and he's making trade deals that actually help the American workers. So uh, I, I think the American... Who's letting him talk this long without being interrupted, by the way? I mean, he is flacking, too, right? it, it, shamelessly. But if you're the interviewer, I mean, this is... I, I, I couldn't really get make out the... Um, I couldn't make out the... Uh, the logo for the news organization, but man, they're just letting him roll. American people see it. They know that he's a doer. Uh, they like what he stands for. Again, there's no secrets with him. Uh, he's very transparent about what he's thinking, whether it's on Twitter or he's very transparent about his policy and the American people are for it. But again, there is fraud with mail-in ballots and the president, uh, he's in four absentee ballots. That's a tried and true way of doing it. But obviously the universal where they send a ballot to everybody, uh, again, the federal government is not equipped to do that uh, properly. This is something that if you're going to do it properly it should take five to ten years to to really roll it out and they're trying to rush it in a couple months and there will be problems did the anchor die is nobody gonna get a word in here 
problems. So uh, we just want to make sure that we have a fair election so that people can have confidence uh, in their election. And unlike the last election where, you know, the president won fair and square, the Democrats and the media spent two years trying to say that Russia was the reason he won the election without any evidence. So, you know, he knows what he's up against in a very uh, dishonest media, and he knows what he's up against in terms of people who want to try to see him lose uh, at all costs. All right, Jared, I guess you can show yourself out. So there you go. That's the campaign. It's, it's, it's good to know somebody's got the talking points down. You know, We'll see how all that stuff uh, pans out. It just matters because the symmetricals are not going to pass any of this stuff on. So it's that you're seeing with the rioting and and just the disgustingness. I mean, you know, I had a friend who said that the left hates Trump because he's as bad as them. And there's no doubt that that's true. Like, he's willing to go as low as the lowest. Trump and Pelosi are not afraid. I mean, street fight versus those two. There is sand is thrown, you know. There is all sorts of cheating happening. But um, we'll see. As far as I'm concerned right now for the election, it is... It is only a matter of if Trump tweets himself out of contention. And that is it. And, you know, it, being pals with uh, QAnon is probably not a good idea either. And I know he does this. Trump does this. He gets cute about these things because he knows it drives some people crazy. And I don't know too much about QAnon. <laughs> about QAnon. I, were they the pizza people? Pizza gay people? Whatever. They're... I, there is that the four chan or is that wait, wait that's on four chan I don't know I, I don't know if there are actually groups of these people who hang out together and cause trouble I know with uh kind of the groiper people I have certainly noticed some elements of right wing wackos although I don't know if Q is Q hates Republicans though but they love Trump and they I don't know I've I don't hang out in that world I'm like twenty eight years older than the demo who would know anything about it but it, it doesn't do. Any, Trump any favors when he's got his uh, his uh, capos on the Sunday shows and they're taking bleep, bleep over this stuff because you know, Trump cutely has been uh, quipping about it. The president said he was thankful for the support of people in QAnon, which led to this exchange. Is this belief that you are secretly saving the world from this satanic cult of pedophiles and cannibals. Does that sound like something you are behind? Or well, I haven't, I haven't heard that, but uh, is that supposed to be a bad thing or a good thing? You can end this controversy right now. Does the president disavow? Does he condemn QAnon? Well, listen, we, we don't even know what it is. I can tell you, you've spent more time talking. This is Mark Meadows, Chief of Staff. Talking on it, Chris, than we have in the White House. I find it appalling that the media, when we have all of the important things that are going on, a, a list of top 20s, that the first question at a press briefing would be about QAnon, that I had to actually Google to figure out what it is. It's not a central part of what the president is talking about. I don't know anything about it. But, I don't but, even know it, that it's but credible. It, it, but first I can't not, tell. Well, but, no, Chris. But it's Chris, not my first question. Well, well it's, I know. It's my I, last but, question. But it is your question that you're bringing it up. 
up. And it's ridiculous. If you want to talk about conspiracy, let's get back to talking about how the, the FBI and others within the FBI spied wait, wait, wait. on the, on the I, Trump I, campaign. I'll, I'll be glad to speak I, I about got, that. I got 30 seconds here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I, so, the point is, it's a hate group. It's a group that has is well, called by the FBI a domestic terrorist. It's not for hate. So I can tell you that if it's a hate group that is there, let's look at domestic terrorism and look at Antifa and a number of other areas and quit spending time on something that 81 percent of Republicans don't even know what you're talking about. I think I'll just add the only reason that we keep that people keep asking is because we didn't get an answer like you did just now. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Congressman. Well, I'll be glad to give you an it. answer. Thanks for your- yeah. I'll be glad to give you an answer with okay. it, Chris. Here's what we have to do is I don't see it as a legitimate I, 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 I thing that we have to address. And so we're not going to address it. We're so there you go. And uh, I know that it, it, people get angry when I say it, but I, Chris Wallace is the best. I'd like to see him get his paws on Joe Biden for an hour. That might be interesting. We'll see where that goes. Remember where we started here today with uh, Brian Stelter. And the television networks are going to have interesting choices to make, interesting decisions to make about whether to cut away if there's this stream of disinformation happening live. Now, I can tell you, uh, Daniel Dale, CNN's fact checker, he will be standing by. I think you will see him in prime time here on CNN providing fact checks when necessary. But I also think we're going to see uh, asymmetry in the way Fox covers the convention, right? The 9 p.m. hour, Hannity was live during the Democrats, not really showing the Democratic convention. I suspect he will show a lot more of the Republican convention, right? Here was the scene on... Do you suspect that, Brian? Wow, man, what insight. Fox, when uh, CNN and MSNBC were showing the Democratic campaign ads, and look, I get it, they were campaign ads, Uh, but there's an asymmetry in the political universe. Sometimes it's called asymmetrical polarization, where there's more extreme... Sometimes it's called you just making terms up. ...behavior going on on the right... Then on the yes, left, that's right. there is an asymmetry in our media as well, No, where Fox is off there on the right uh, in ways that... Then as he says, Fox is off there on the right. Well, if they're off on the right, then you must be on the left. The other networks are not in the middle no. or on the left. Uh-huh. And what we are seeing currently in our political system in America... So let's talk about, for a moment, the symmetrical media. And um, this is... Some of the symmetrical media's best work. This is from Rich Noise. Uh, this is uh, just, just a few examples of the symmetrical media. The Imaginary, <coughs> he's of um, Media Media Research Center. The Imaginary P-Tape. Ten days before Trump's inauguration, CNN tried to rain on his big moment by unveiling, quote, exclusive information that top intelligence officials, including then-FBI Director James Comey, had briefed the president-elect about a 35-page dossier crammed with supposedly damaging information. As is often the case in Washington, the least likely most gossipy parts circulated the most widely, including the highly impossible claim that Trump, on a visit to Russia, hired prostitutes to urinate in the bed President Obama had used during an earlier visit. Of course, no news organization could confirm any of this. We played you the audio earlier. But it became a salacious bit of anti-Trump dirt that kept finding its way into the airwaves. The high watermark for this below-the-belt charge came on April 2018th when Comey, a year after he was fired from the uh, FBI, this is April 2018, used a book tour to publicize this smear all over again. He found a willing audience in the Trump-hating press. 
Um, fake news about a Flynn deal with Mueller. During a live special report coverage on December 27, ABC News Chief Investigative uh, Brian Ross made a jaw-dropping claim that former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn would testify that during the 2016 campaign, then-candidate Donald Trump had ordered him, directed him to make contact with the Russians, which contradicts all that Donald Trump has said to this point. If true, that would conceivably put the president in legal jeopardy. Within minutes, Ross's report was being parroted across the media, and the stock market fell more than 300 points. But it turned out that Ross had committed one of the biggest blunders of his career. As Ross clarified hours later, Trump made the alleged request of Flynn not as a candidate, but during the transition, which made it merely an act of foreign policy, not collusion. ABC suspended Ross for one month without pay. It barred him from covering President Trump in the future. He's since left the network. Good for ABC. CNN, CNN's botched WikiLeaks email exclusive. A few days later, on December 8th, 2017, CNN.com published an early morning story by correspondents uh, Manu Raju and Jeremy Herb claiming Trump's campaign team received an email from WikiLeaks on September 4th, 2016, with a decryption key and website address for hacked WikiLeaks documents that would not be publicly revealed until summer 13th. Was this finally some proof of the collusion that anti-Trump media had been searching for? That morning and into the afternoon, all of CNN's programming programs proudly touted a breaking news banner with CNN exclusive that read the following, emails reveal effort to give Trump campaign WikiLeaks documents. It turned out the email actually went out September 14th, 2016, after the information was available to anyone. That afternoon, after hours of breathless hype, CNN issued an on-air correction read by Raju. The reporters, however, faced no disciplinary action. Donald Trump's secret Russian agent. After the president at a post-summit press conference refused to contradict President Rush, President. Russian President Vladimir Putin's denials of election meddling, journalists leaped to offering wild theories that the performance was evidence that Trump was a Russian agent. We don't know if Putin is is his handler, his hero, or his co-conspirator, but it's obviously where his loyalty lies, New York columnist Michelle Goldberg declared on ABC's This Week. CNN's Brian Stelter, symmetrical, uh, who hosts Reliable Sources, um, used his program to tout the crazy conspiracies. Trump's odd behavior with Vladimir Putin is compelling so many people to ask, what does Putin have on Trump? Has Trump been compromised? All of those people, those experts, those reporters, they are looking at the fact pattern and seeing something strange, even sinister. The next morning, for former Time managing editor Walter Isaacson wandered away from reality, and, uh, reality on Morning Joe. It's as if Donald Trump has been weaponized over the years by Vladimir Putin to go in and do Putin's bidding. It's an astonishing. It's astonishing how he's become such an effective and destructive virus created by Vladimir Putin. A few days earlier, CNN's Don Lemon used his network's airwaves to float the notion that Trump was guilty of treason. Quote, Article 3 in Section 3 of the Constitution says this. Treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering their enemies uh, to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. Levin asked historian Douglas Brinkley to agree. Do you believe the president's actions fall anywhere within that definition? Such venomous speculation only harms the media's claims that they are fact-based and also makes societies crazy. Another one, CNN exclusive. 
July 26, 2018, CNN's Jim Shooto and Carl Bernstein appeared on Cuomo Primetime to drop the exclusive bombshell claim that Michael Cohen would tell federal investigators that President Trump knew of the infamous Trump Tower meeting before it took place. It was exactly the sort of smoking gun that Trump haters in the media had been yearning for since the Russian investigation began, and it quickly filled up liberal airwaves. Cable news went nearly wall-to-wall, while the broadcast networks churned out a combined 28 and a half minutes touting the story on uh, on just their July 27 morning and evening news pro- programs. Um, Savannah Guthrie breathlessly opened NBC's Today, breaking overnight bombshell, President Trump's longtime lawyer ready to deliver the goods. ABC's Good Morning America heralded them as, quote, stunning new claims, as Justice Correspondent Pierre Thomas intoned that, Quote, these explosive new allegations are further evidence of the growing rift between President Trump and his former attorney. The only problem was it was all fiction leaked anonymously to CNN and other works and other networks by Cohen's lawyers and longtime Clinton lawyer and loyalist Lanny Davis. The facts came out in late August after Axios reported that Cohen actually did not know if Trump had any knowledge of the meeting. Days later, BuzzFeed exposed that Davis was CNN's secret source, even after Davis had gone on CNN to assert he was not the source. The broadcast networks that had loudly promoted the fake bombshell in July published minor updates in their websites, but didn't say a word. They talk about the bank, uh, uh, O'Don- Larry O'Donnell, um, reckless Deutsche Bank scoop, um, pertaining to Donald Trump's business dealings with Germany's Deutsche Bank. Uh, O'Donnell acknowledged that his information came from a single source, but it was inflammatory, yada, yada, yada. I mean, these things never end. Blaming Trump for racist mass killings. The coronavirus hoax, hoax. They never end. There's too many of these things. Uh, Maybe I'll save some for tomorrow. We'll go through more of them tomorrow, maybe. So I was also thinking today, you know how uh, good progressives feel that they're, that they, they, they cherish and love uh, minorities and with the Black Lives Matter thing, obviously black lives more than, a, you know, they're really good people. So they love their, their, the, they love black Americans and more than, more than you do is what they're saying. I was thinking about that. Like, is it do they love Black Americans or do they love liberals? Because you never see a liberal or a progressive ever defend a conservative Black American, or even a Black American that diverges at all from progressive thought. I mean, all good, good white liberals are happy to, at the drop of a dime, call Kanye West crazy. Oh, he's nuts. He's crazy. Yeah, he's whack. They wouldn't do that a few years ago before he became Trump guy. There's this this black doctor who was in front of the Supreme Court a month ago talking about hydrochloroquine. You know what I mean? Good liberals immediately. Yeah, she's no psycho. She's crazy. She's crazy, lady. Happy, just tear enter. It's like as soon as you, as soon as you 
deviate from the progressive line, then you just become a Walmart shopper to be you're to be scorned, made fun of, and mocked and denigrated. When's the last time anybody defended on the left defended um Ben Carson? No. He's an idiot. Dummy, you hear him? Idiot doesn't even know. They're all really good people, but man, you better you better conform to the the cultural and political rule book completely or you will lose your identity. Hmm. So um very interesting today. If you don't listen to the fifth column podcast, I think you should. But maybe you've listened to enough podcasts. Maybe you're all set. Maybe maybe I'll just leave you alone, you know? But they had a great talk today. And it goes more to something that, that we talk about here and that uh, I, I always think is fascinating. Just reading history. And I've, I've said it before. I've read some of the some of the history of just small towns, Massachusetts towns, back in the 1600s when the colonists were first here in their day-to-day. And it was, you know, crazy and the, the horrible diseases. And they were bad to the Indians, and the Indians were bad to them. And some Indians were great to them, and some in, in the colonists, different colonists didn't get along with each other, obviously. we were Everybody was happy to kill everybody. Indians, colonists, you know, there was people... It was just, it's, history is vicious. Like right down the street, there was a family where um, a family was killed by Indians and their and their uh, a, a daughter kidnapped. And then, and that's a, that's one town over the Goodrich Massacre. It's called, I think. And uh, and then right down the street where I am, a, a, a posse full of uh, settlers, you know, went and killed an Indian. Supposedly, it was revenge and. I mean, there were all sorts of intra battles, and in Beacon Hill, Boston, you know, the, the, that was Beacon Hill because they put a big torch at the top of the hill, the, the settlers, so people would know there were Indian attacks coming. And these Indian attacks—that was women, children, everybody killed—and it went both ways. It was just like it, it was. That was just a—it was a rough time to live. <laughs> it was, and the more you read about it, the more you—it's just not simple. It's not history is difficult that's the problem so in the fifth column podcast and these are the guys michael moynihan and matt walsh who's from reason magazine Roy moynihan i think is from vox um and then camille foster and he's from something else i forgot what he's from where what is he from where is that the fifth column podcast camille foster oh they're on everything i should I should uh, learn. It's we the fifth dot com actually. Camille Foster. Fine. I we're Facebook friends. Me and Camille. You know that? How cool am I, right? Camille Foster. He's a good guy. He is an American telecommunications entrepreneur and political commentator, co-founder, and vice president of Telcall Q. Jesus. Anyway. So they started talking, they have David French on, who used to be with National Review, and who is now um, with Jonah Goldberg at the Dispatch. So they've got David French on, and Michael Moynihan, they stumbles onto the, they stumble onto the 
subject of the of the statues in the south and exactly how and why these statues were built at all and it goes to the they they start talking about I'll just set it up for you the lost cause myth or the lost cause theory and the lost cause of the Confederacy it's called or simply called the lost cause is an American pseudo historical uh, negationist ideology which advocates the belief that the cause of the Confederate States during the American Civil War was just was a just and heroic one. So, uh, so David French is a Southerner. His uh, his um, his relatives were Confederates, and so they ask him um, essentially about this. David, you're you're in the South. You're a Southerner. Can you explain something to me this, as a Northerner who doesn't believe that any of these Confederate statues should have existed in the first place? Is that why? You know, I know it's a very basic argument. I've heard a million times. Can you tell me how? I'm not saying that you do this, but how people in the South defend the the losing army getting <laughs> to erect statues of their losing generals. I missed the von Manstein and Rommel statues in Cologne, but maybe I'm missing something here. Well, is, there a, you know, then, is there a more nuanced argument that I'm missing? If you're talking about the big statues of Lee and Jackson yeah. and some of these others, um, there's the lost cause myth here comes into play, which soothes the Southern conscience by saying this was not about slavery. The the secession was not about slavery. It's about states' rights. It's reconnecting with, you know, the spirit of 1776. And that the Confederate Army uh, was hopelessly outnumbered, performed heroic feats of arms, but was ultimately defeated by a criminal Union Army that had to resort to, resort to war crimes to defeat our our valiant, honorable boys. It was uh, it was a fight against overwhelming odds for the cause of liberty, and though uh, they were vanquished, their cause was, if not just, it was justified, and we're going to honor their valor. Okay, so that's sort of the lost cause myth, and it's hard to overstate the extent to which that is the narrative. It is the narrative that Southern kids were brought up with White Southern kids were brought up with for a long, long time. I definitely know a couple of guys who that was the history in their family, that it was about uh, autonomy for their state and the fight of northern aggression. And I'm not endorsing any of that stuff, but but I'm just saying nothing's easy. Nothing. Everything is complicated. You know, yeah. It obviously slavery was a, a horrific thing, and thank God we uh, it, it was. Uh, thank God it ended. But just the myopic look at all this stuff, it just gets more difficult to see. It gets more difficult to make easy one-dimensional generalities. So uh, Camille Foster makes a very good point saying, well, I'll let him do it. Okay, so Camille asks, follows up with David. It's certainly the case that the people who fought in the conflict, most of whom wouldn't have owned slaves, even if they had some ugly sentiments about black people and some ugly sentiments about the, the about whether or not slavery ought to be appropriate, I imagine their ugly sentiments were probably matched by most of their northern foes who also would not have marched off to battle if they thought they were going to battle in order to liberate the Negroes. 
interesting point, isn't it? And I, I, I think that historically that's probably undeniable. I mean, it's probably not totally. I'm sure some some did. Some Union soldiers did. That would not been a much of a rallying cry for Abraham Lincoln. So I, I, I ask if it's fair to call it a myth. It's certainly wrong to suggest that the Civil War isn't fundamentally about slavery. But I don't think it's at all wrong to, to actually try to embody the space that those people lived in. Beyond slavery, there was a universe of motivations for people who participated in the war themselves. And it doesn't seem unfair at all for one of those narratives to become sort of the animating thing that motivates people to want to build statues or to name streets after Stonewall Jackson. I was going to say Jackson Stonewall because I was just sitting at that corner the other day here in Front Royal, Virginia, where I see a lot of magazines and everyone is generally very nice to me. First, the the foundation of Lost Cause myth is the is the false narrative about the reason for secession. Um, so the the sort of the moral foundation of the lost cause myth is to minimize the reason for secession which is mm-hmm. and it's all it's all over the articles of secession i mean like this is not a a mystery you can go and read the documents that the secession conventions and the legislatures voted on it is right yeah. there okay yeah it is also true that the union army did not invade to end slavery seems like a pretty basic fact but how many kids in schools know that? How many kids in, in, in the high school? Is that even being told? Well, actually, maybe now with, with um, you know, it, it, considering the, the editors of the New York Times are writing the curriculum, maybe, and they, they want to, you know, uh, they want to frame the Union as just as racist as the South. Maybe, maybe it is. But it's kind of interesting to hear it said. So you have a nation that is created, uh, you know, in, in, in the Confederate States of America is a nation that's created. It is not recognized by the Union. It is invaded for the purpose of forcible reunification, not for abolition. Okay. Abolition mm-hmm. came later. So if you're a regular Joe and, uh, or, you know, you're an, you're an officer, whatever, you have an army coming into your state that is not coming in with peaceable intention. It is coming to invade and it is not coming to, to end slavery. Like the Emancipation Proclamation did not occur until later in the conflict. And so there is, you know, right there you have, um, individuals who are confronting an invading army and, you know, sounds like he's having trouble with this because he's 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 you know, contradicting or giving the other side of the argument very convincingly. Look, I mean, I, I I'm speaking about my own ancestors here who were all on the Confederate side, um, fought at Shiloh, at Vicksburg, Atlanta. I mean, not Atlanta, you monster. Nashville, Franklin, and you know, this is where a lot of them were coming from. And, and so, yeah, I think that's one of the things that I think people, the Southerners of the lost cause myth, they, they minimize the, uh, they minimize the cause of secession, the true cause, which was slavery, Mm -hmm. fear of slave rebellion. And then the uh, people who look at back at the conflict, a lot of historians who want to understandably 
um, debunk the lost cause myth. They don't focus on the fact that the invasion wasn't for liberation of slaves. Mm-hmm. They they look at it as here you had the slave the the uh, slave army and the liberating army. That wasn't how it started. That's <laughs> it's difficult. It's just it's it's difficult. You know, if you just. <sighs> I guess Ken Burns told the story fairly comprehensively, and uh, but the base, the the elevator pitch about the Civil War is is woven into a moral cause over slavery. Ultimately, we at least want it to be. There were certainly abolitionists up in the north. The movement was spreading it. It had already made its way through uh, England, and it was only a matter of time. That wasn't how it started. You had the army of the slave nation confronting the army of the Union, which was perfectly content for much of the conflict to reunify the nation and keep slavery. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, this is just true. I mean, like, this is just true. And I would say an awful lot of the folks who wore blue were fighting to restore the Union and not as many. You know, there's some accounts that indicate that the Union soldiers became more radicalized against slavery as the war went on. Go with that. Sure. Uh, But certainly as it started, that was not the intent. That was not why they signed up. Certain some did. That's not why they signed up. And so, you know, look, none of that justifies secession. None of Mm -hmm. that justifies secession. But what it does, it, it, it makes it a little bit different than the narrative that says the whole thing from the get-go was slavery versus abolition. Well, wasn't that great? That's David French on the Fifth Column podcast talking about, you heard it, what he's talking about. I'll have links to all that in the show notes for today. Thanks so much for joining me. I was uh, excited to do today's show. I had a lot of fun doing it. I hope you had a lot of fun listening to it. Follow me on Twitter, at Tom Shattuck. Thanks so much for all the support. I really appreciate it. And uh, feel free to email me, winchester at gmail.com. Two ends in Winchester. And I'll try to get back and read these things on the air. And comments on Facebook as well, and Twitter, and all that other stuff. Thanks so much. See you later. C'est la vie. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.